0: Hey, Story Show listeners, Jeremy here, along with
1: Angie.
0: Uh, Today we've got a special guest, Janice Jeffrey, with us, and she was a storyteller from our uh, story show last summer, the Light My Fire Story Show. Welcome, Janice.
2: Thank you. Hey,
1: hey. (laughs) Thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) And uh, her story was called Become a Number. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, you're an English teacher. What's up with the math? Yeah, what's
0: up with the math?
2: Right, math. that have occurred throughout history and of course it takes a leader and those are the names that we remember but it's the large groups of people that make the impact and we, we see that even today as as people join Greta Thunberg's climate change protests and it just becomes bigger and bigger and 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 she started as one individual and we know her name but the movement wouldn't be going anywhere without her followers yeah
0: yeah you've Mm -hmm. got to have people on board right definitely did you hear by the way this is a little bit of an aside but so we had a couple of weeks ago we had i think 15 students from albert lee high school go over to rochester for um, a demonstration and they were presenting some demands to the city council of rochester uh, that they wanted them to declare a climate crisis and then establish some policy goals and Couple of days ago, I saw in the newspaper that they
1: did that.
2: Oh, that is impressive. Yeah. Oh,
1: there and you go. A couple individuals wow. making change. Yeah, gives
0: you a tingly feeling. Doesn't yeah. Happen, yeah, that doesn't happen with three protesters, right? Right. But right. and it was actually the second protest this year. There was a um, in the fall. There was a group, an even larger group, that nice. did the same thing there. So, so yeah, pretty cool social activism, right? Mm-hmm. And climate yes. activism. Did tonight. either
1: one of you see Harriet? That was out in theaters this fall about, I Harriet, Tubman. about Harriet
0: Tubman. No, yeah. I didn't. I didn't.
1: Yeah, I didn't either. So <laughs> that that went nowhere. That went nowhere. <laughs> Tell us more about this. That. Hopefully that what comes other out a Netflix soon. <laughs> <laughs> no, I heard it was really good. A bunch of people went and they were like, This was amazing and it was awesome to sort of see. I mean, I think everyone knows certain people from history. Like, none of us can forget about Eli, Whitney, and his cotton gin. That'll be burned into our <laughs> <laughs> brains forever. <laughs> but he's right up there, Yeah, right. right. <laughs> um, like, why that information I will ever need, I don't know, but it's there. I mean, it did
2: transform slave, slavery and the Southern economy, but it's still not a common name for a people. <laughs> right, right. It's true, it's true.
0: So, um, so, Janice, another thing you mentioned, uh, and well, I should say, uh, we all teach together. Right. Janice teaches right next door to me here, and um, but I first, I think I first knew you through the union when before you were at the high school, you are at a different building. Right. But you you were uh, a union rep, and that comes up in your story as well. Yes. How did you get? Uh, like, do you have? Did does your family have any history in unions, or is this something that became new to you as a as a teacher or?
2: Uh, my family is very anti-union. Really? Yes, I I get teased at during family gatherings for being a union thug and, <laughs> and so sometimes I wear my union <laughs> clothing just to antagonize Why them. Why not? Right? And that's part of the fun of Thanksgiving, oh, right? <laughs> yeah. So no, I've politically as and as an activist, I've always been kind of the black sheep of my family. So um, the the interest in unions was to, came about as part of my interest in history and seeing the the movements that shaped and changed the direction for workers in in the late 1800s and uh, and again in the early 19, uh, continuing into the early 1900s but the things that they fought for and their lives that they were willing to give for something bigger than themselves just always impresses me Um, especially sitting here in comfortable 2019 and I'm not sure we could even get people to work to rule much less strike or do something bigger and and so I look at that activism of the past and think how bad it must have been for them to get to that point. Yeah
0: it's pretty crazy to think about like what what it would take for you to to walk off the job not just for a couple of days but to be willing to. To do that for as long as it takes.
2: Well, and at a time when there were absolutely no union protections, and guns and military were brought right. out to keep you in yeah. line.
0: So we don't we don't run into that too much, you know, with no. our our education association. No, no, we.
1: <laughs> Other states have though. West Virginia just had uh, a, yeah. like a walkout, and where it was it? Arizona or in Mexico, somewhere Chica- down south.
0: Well, just recent Chicago. Chicago's Chicago did yeah.
1: probably.
2: No. Yeah. yeah yeah I think there are a lot of locals that are in a tough situation and have had um, low wages for a really long time. Yeah, I've said it
0: I've said it before. Uh, uh, Minnesota is a different world than a lot of the country in terms of teacher pay and benefits mm-hmm. and so uh, we're we, pretty fortunate. <laughs> yeah. We are.
2: The, the value that our communities and our, our state legislature put into education is fortunate for us and our students.
0: So another p- part of her story, Janice's story was was going back a, a touch, was just what light lit a fire for you academically and and what got you into teaching. Angie, what was what was something from from college that you remember just kind of like waking you up or getting you So this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Angie's in grad school.
1: I've never stopped going to school. Um, <laughs> Yeah, man, lots of stuff. One thing I can remember specifically, though, so my undergrad is in um, literature, English literature. And I, for, like, scholarship purposes, had to take so many credits, things like that. Um, And so I was done with my major, and they were like, you got to take a three-credit course, anything you want, dealer's choice. And I was like, what am I going to take? I took European history, um, which was, like, so much work. (laughs) And essay writing and all kinds of stuff, but, like, I learned so much and was just riveted at like oh, like just seeing the connections between like stuff we're still dealing with today and like things that happened you know 50 years ago or whatever and the effects of how those continue on so like just this random course I picked that fit the time slot I was looking at and it had this huge impact all my professors now are going to be like cool so the thing you chose to go do not the impactful thing.
0: (laughs) yeah, for me it was, um, I had two things. One was um, my first year writing and discussion class. They used to call it Freshman Symposium, and it was called Seeing Through Poetry. <clears throat> and um, it was just awesome, you know, a year of, of poetry, reading and discussing. And and then uh, later on when I was studying abroad my junior year, I took uh, my my senior, senior seminar was on Aristotle and ethics. And I, I was just like that's it. And I, I came back and I I dropped my secondary ed minor <laughs> and uh, picked up a philosophy minor my last year and a half. And, nice. But I just love that stuff. And um, yeah, so.
1: Philosophy's fun. It is. Fun. Well, you Denise, what Do you have any college inspirations? You know, I had,
2: by the time I got to college, I really was on a path. I think more of my inspiration came during high school and it was always based in history it just mm-hmm. always was the people of the past that really inspired me to go forward and so continued with history and in college and then added the English degree because well I can't coach so <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna be a social studies teacher you either have to do something else or coach sure. and, and and then I, I loved the English degree too because I, I like reading so that wasn't a hard sell but
0: So the day that this episode is scheduled to release is actually the same day as our upcoming story show, January 11th, 2020. And uh, the theme of the show is Pass the Plate. And Janice, you're returning as a storyteller for this one. Uh, what's your new story about?
2: A lot of our students are lacking and and don't have the basic resources that they need to to, to survive. And the the um, charity that the next story show is for is the backpack program which is I I was on the lead team at my church who started that program and got it going at Hawthorne and so I had to be part of this story show because that is a program that's special to me and so my story is um, centered on a, a student that I had at one time who didn't have food to go home to.
0: The backpack program sends a backpack of food home with kids who need it so they don't experience food scarcity right. on the weekends.
2: Yeah, um, um, each weekend the, the food bundle gives them four meals and two snacks for the nice. weekend.
1: And how many students do you serve in the district right now? Estimate.
2: Yeah, and, and it's in the 400s. Wow, wow. 450 perhaps. We started with 34 at Hawthorne. Wow. And then it's, it's expanded rapidly.
1: And is that just it's from the elementaries, or are you serving all the schools? Elementary
2: and Southwest.
1: Okay. Wow. Wow. That's impressive.
0: That's awesome. And it's so awesome to see it expand so quickly, because it really has, right? It has, right. There's yeah. an
1: awesomeness
2: to it that you're helping is more people, but there's a sadness that that many more people right. need the assistance. Right. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well,
1: we're excited to have you back. Yeah. This is a great charity, and you're a part of that, and we're always happy to listen to your amazing storytelling.
2: Thank you. I'm excited to share again.
0: Uh, but first, listeners get a chance to check out your story from last summer's show, uh, which is coming up next, recorded live at the Marion Ross Performing Arts Center in July 2019.
1: Due to their jobs teaching at the high school, and the many activities their children are involved in. Janice and her husband, Max, are often at school events, band concerts, choir shows, swimming meets, basketball games, or sitting in the parking lot waiting to give someone a ride. They have been known to picnic in the commons area between events and call it date night. During the summer, they try to carve out some free time by encouraging their children to ride bike to their own activities. This encouragement is most successful when Janice and Max leave the house and are unavailable to give rides. So if you spot Janice or her husband out biking, golfing, or pontooning, you know they are demonstrating an anti-helicopter approach to parenting that will encourage self-reliance, problem solving. You're welcome, kids. This is Become a Number by Janice Jeffrey.
2: A group of ragtag young men with little formal experience and no funding for uniforms decided to form a team. They scavenged for equipment, making do with substitute items or nothing at all. They begged for supplies and trained at odd hours. Outwardly, their efforts seemed futile and laughable. Who were these men to think they could challenge the strongest team in the world? But they had something special, determination. They had courage, and they had perseverance. They were willing to do whatever it took to meet their goals and were unified by a common goal, to win at all costs. They brainstormed defensive techniques that were unorthodox and devised offensive strategies that would take their opponents by surprise. When the day came, they gathered on their side of the field and stared at the well-funded, highly skilled team across from them and considered their strategy. What they didn't consider was that the other team's sidelines had so many more men to fill in when things got difficult. They didn't consider their skill to be less because their funding was less. And they didn't consider loss as a possibility. They were in this game to win it. Does this story sound familiar? It's not an ESPN 30 for 30 special about an inner city football team. It's the story of the 13 colonies as they face Great Britain for independence. And it's the kind of story that stirs my passion, the underdog winning despite all odds, winning something that's bigger than themselves, creating change that benefits the many and the marginalized. In middle and high school, I spent countless hours reading about historical figures who changed history. These figures loom large. Harriet Tubman and the Underground Railroad, Samuel Gompers and Mother Jones leading the trade union movement, Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks fighting for civil rights of African-Americans, Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton leading the suffragettes for the 19th Amendment. And these people fascinated me. But what fascinated me even more were the numbers in the books. 100,000 slaves were estimated to have escaped slavery using the Underground Railroad. 250,000 strikers shut down the Pullman trains in 1894. 525 civil rights marchers headed southeast out of Selma on US Highway 80 in 1965. And 200 women were arrested in 1917 while picketing the White House. I think about the tired, frustrated man who sat at his kitchen table after supper and said, tomorrow I'm standing up to that unfairness at work, even if I lose my job. I think of the exhausted, beaten slave woman who woke her children in the middle of the night and whispered, wake up, we're leaving. I think of the young woman who left the farm in hopes of making money in the Lowell factories, who used her one day off from the loom to protest outside the White House for the right to vote in the next election. And I think of the old man who woke up to a hot, humid Montgomery morning, finished his eggs, rose on his arthritic knees, kissed his wife, and reminded her to walk the five miles to work that morning because they were going to boycott those buses. Those are the people who fascinate me, the everyday, ordinary people who make up the numbers of history, the individuals who decided it was worth individual risk to demand that their safety be met and personal rights granted. So what do you do in life when this is your main interest? I became a teacher, hoping to inspire young people with these stories and point out that they, too, can be doers of change in our world, that all it takes is to inform yourself about what's happening, know your rights, and know how to be agents of change in our society. Learn that our society has made mistakes in our collective past, and we can overcome those mistakes with the courage and the perseverance that is our common inheritance. And then, in my first years of teaching, I learned a new reality. Many of my students were economically disadvantaged, and struggled struggled academically. And although I learned in college about problems kids face, I had no practical experience. I had facts, knowledge, idealism, and white middle class privilege, but little understanding. I learned that students who climb on on school desks may not have furniture at home. They don't know how to respect property. Students who come to school smelling bad may not have access to a bath or shower, because that's the cat's litter box. I learned there are people who view school as their source of food and not their source of empowerment. And I found out early on that a student's address could easily determine his scores on state assessments and her classroom grades. I learned that some parents spend the majority of their time and energy making money to feed, clothe, and house their kids and to meet their basic needs. And they needed me to be the one to focus on the academics. Perhaps I would be doing less inspiring work than I originally intended. But what I would be doing was living out Martin Luther King Jr.'s question. Life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? With this new knowledge, teaching became much more than my job. It became my civil rights mission, my social justice calling, and my local community service. I had to make sure the basic needs of my students were met before they could flourish. I provided instruction on academic behaviors such as organizing materials in a binder, I taught that the reason we raise our hand is so that everyone gets a chance. And it's okay to wait for others because taking turns is part of working in a successful community. I let students know their options for their future, and I connect their current learning to those future educational and career options. I focus instruction on basic skills, reading for comprehension, writing informative paragraphs, using basic proper grammar and punctuation, always pushing students to do more, but realizing that at each grade level, there are many just trying to catch up to expectations. I taught summer school, after school programs, trying to inspire students not to become civil rights leaders, but to find their own academic voices and be able to see a functional and successful future for themselves. And so I became one of 70,000 educators in the state of Minnesota, who has had about 3,680 students so far. And I may not be our beloved Ori Jurley with the gymnasium named after me, but few are. The work is done by large numbers of unknown teachers. Midpoint through my career, it became obvious that I was one to speak up when things didn't seem right and willing to ask for changes to make things more fair for everyone. And so I was asked to become a leader of our teachers' union to meet the basic needs of teachers, the need to feel safe and protected in a job that can have much stress. I send out messages and give speeches to inspire my colleagues to lift them when they're down or exhausted. I'm there when things aren't going well, to give counsel and provide options or advice. I'm at the table working towards solutions during times of conflict and seeking conditions and benefits that make our school district one that draws talented teachers. And again, I'm not Randy Weingarten, the president of the American Federation of Teachers. I'm just one of thousands of local union leaders, but the majority of the work is done at the local level. Recently, I was asked to join the lead committee at my church. At the first meeting, they were brainstorming ways to get a backpack program going with our neighborhood school so students could have food on the weekend. This is exactly the kind of mission that speaks to my passion, helping to meet the basic needs of children. We fed 34 students at Hawthorne that year. The next year, eight local churches joined our efforts to feed 358 students at all the elementary schools and at Southwest. And while I can tell you the number of students we helped, I can't tell you the number of people who are involved. Between the organizers, the pastors, the donators, the delivery persons, and the social workers, we have many people working to make sure our students have food over the holidays and on the weekends. It's noble work. And each person I talk to is honored to be part of that program. So my suggestion to you, find a way to become a number. The work we do at the local level is work that has the greatest impact and the greatest purpose. Every job we do is significant. Believe in yourself and your larger purpose. Determine your interests, find your passion, and be open to all the places they will take you. If you do, it won't matter if you receive recognition. It'll just matter that you did what you cared about and that your work had an impact.
0: Thank you. The story show is produced by Angie Zoller Barker, Shane Kepke and me, Jeremy Corey Greenus. Please check out our webpage at thestoryshow.org and encourage your friends to listen to our podcast. They can find us wherever they listen to podcasts. Just search for The Story Show, in quotes, and you'll find us. Thanks.